Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Ancestor, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Ancestor is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash Ancestor. November 27th, Kill em All. Implantation plus 18 days. Jean held her breath and waited while Klaus Ruhmkorf read her report on his computer. They were alone in the upper deck lab. She was feeling better, but not when she was around him. Stress was bad for her. Made her twitchy. Made the shadows move. He turned from the screen to stare at her. But you don't remember doing this? She shook her head. I do not, but look at it. That is the real code I used for the genome. That is why my growth projections are so off. His eyes widened. She'd never seen that look before. A look of doubt, of fear. He turned back to the screen. I see, he said. And now that you know this, you have new projections? His tone of voice, almost like he didn't want to hear the answer. Yes, Dr. Rumkorf. She again looked at the printout in her hands, even though she already knew the answer. Birth weight? Approximately 250 pounds. He swallowed. She actually heard him swallow. Trembling hands reached up to readjust his black glasses. And your best guess at the recalibrated adult weight? Over 500 pounds. Of all the odd things, he picked his nose for a second. He wiped his finger on his pants leg. That would be more in line with the growth we've seen in the fetuses. Still, we need to see the adults. We won't know organ functions or dimensions for sure until we have an adult. Then we can make adjustments and try again. John couldn't believe her ears. See an adult? Was he crazy? Dr. Rumkoff, we need to kill them. His head snapped around, anger smoldering in his eyes. Kill them? But we are succeeding. Jeanne shook her head. We are creating something bad, something evil. We'll have the cages soon. We're not going to kill anything. Jean started to speak, but was interrupted when Mr. Feely's head popped up the aft ladder. Broski, Fruit Loops, get down here pronto! He disappeared back down the ladder. Rumkorf and Jean followed him to the first deck. Mr. Feely stood next to Molly McButter. Molly's head hung almost to the ground. Thin trails of blood ran from her mouth. Rumkorf knelt to look into the cow's mucus-coated eyes. What's wrong with her? Tim shook his head. I'm not sure. I just got here ten minutes ago and found her like this. Ten minutes? You should have been here hours ago, Mr. Feely. Were you drinking again or just sleeping off last night's hangover? Fuck you, shit breath. 
Tim said, as he ran down the aisle to his lab area across from the crash chairs and the elevator. He tore through the cabinets and came back with a fluid-filled IV bag and a needle envelope. So, Runecrow said, what's wrong with her? Dr. Hall isn't here to wet-nurse you anymore, you drunken idiot. Know what, Chief? Tim hung the bag from a hook above Molly McButter's stall, then knelt to work the needle into her neck. You're about one ounce of lip shy of me pimp-slapping you like a bitch. Just tell me what is wrong with the cow. She's sick. It's like her body's feeding on itself. I'd say it's a sudden onset of malnutrition. Jean had looked over the cows just last night, and they seemed fine. Malnutrition? How could that be? Too much stress. She felt all itchy. She wanted to get out of there, get away from Roomcorp, Feely, and the cows. Ridiculous, Roomcorp said. It can't be malnutrition. Molly's feed bin is full. She hasn't touched it. We've increased her food intake to compensate for the advanced fetal growth. She didn't look like this yesterday, did she? Not even close, Tim said. Whatever made her sick, it also made her so sick she stopped eating. She's the only one showing these symptoms, so I'll see if something's wrong with the IV setup. Maybe the pump broke or the needle jammed. Jean looked at the other cows. They all looked fine. Then she saw something move in stall 41. Coldness blossomed in her chest. A tiny, plastic baby doll hand reached over the stall divider. A black and orange tiger paw appeared a few inches to its left. No, Jean said in an inaudible whisper. The mismatched arm shivered. A black head slowly appeared from behind the wall. Jean shut her eyes tight and jabbed her thumbs into her stomach, sending a wave of dull pain up her body. She gave her head one shake, then opened her eyes. The thing was gone. Jean, Rumkorf said sharply. She jumped at the sound of his voice and turned to face him. Jean, did you hear me? He looked annoyed. Mr. Feely looked disgusted. No, Dr. Rumkorf, what did you say? I asked what you thought of this. Jan quickly looked at the sick cow, then back at Rumkorf. Mr. Feely is right. The rapid fetus growth is making the cow sick. Tim inserted a new IV needle into Molly's neck. I'm going to crank up her intravenous feeding, he said. Hopefully that'll normalize her metabolism enough for her to start eating again. I'll increase all the cow's food another 25%. I think that sometime during the night, Molly became sick enough to stop eating, and her body started breaking down muscle in order to sustain the fetus. From there, the situation cascaded. We need to set up checks every two hours, Roomcorp said. We'll have to create a rotation with the non-important staff. Tim shook his head. I can do you one better, Broham. I'll program their monitors to watch for altered vitals. Tie that into the security room computer. Something goes wrong, the security dude on staff gets beeped, zooms in with the camera, then gives us a holler. Easy. Jean shook her head. No, just let them die. Roomcorp glared at her. Tim nodded slowly. Fucking A right, he said. Wrong, Roomcorp hissed, the word long and drawn out. John took a half-step back. These animals will not die, Rumkorf said. And if they do, I swear to God that I will destroy both of your careers. Timothy, the only way you will get near a lab is if you are pushing a mop. And John, I promise you 
that when they take you back to China, you will spend the rest of your life rotting away in an insane asylum. Roomcorf's eyes were wide and angry. A sneer bent his upper lip. Hateful. She had to look away. And when she did, Roomcorf turned his gaze on Tim. Tim looked down. All of his bluster, all of his threats of violence, gone. Roomcorf walked back to the aft ladder and climbed to the second deck. Jean said nothing. She had to do something to stop all this, but what? Mr. Colding wanted her to shut up. Dr. Roomcorf just didn't want to listen. Mr. Feely was all talk. Sarah? She wasn't one of the decision-makers. Jean couldn't rely on anyone. She knew what she had to do. The only question was, did she have the courage to do it? As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. November 27th. Nice endo. Implantation plus 18 days. Colding was getting the hang of snowmobiling, and, he had to admit, he liked it. 
a swarm of sleds shot down the snow-packed road toward the docks. Magnus and Andy out in front, Alonzo and the twins next, then Colding, with Sarah bringing up the rear. She hung back a little in case Colding had problems. Wasn't exactly rocket science to drive one, but like anything else, a sled took some getting used to. The brakes on a car or motorcycle usually weren't applied while driving 30 miles an hour across snow or ice, for example. Up ahead, the road crested the snow-covered dune that marked the harbor. Colding's eyes widened as he saw Magnus and Andy accelerate up the dune and fly off it, trailing comet tails of powder through open air before they vanished behind the dune's far side. Zoe and the twins took the crest more conservatively, keeping their sleds on the ground as they went over. Colding slowed and stopped a good 50 yards shy of the dune. Sarah slid to a stop next to him. You like what you see there? Her smile blazed in the afternoon sun. Even with goggles covering her eyes and a helmet hiding her hair and ears, she looked stunning. The helmet didn't hide those freckles. He looked back to the dune. That much air in her Magnus's sled seemed terrifying, but it also seemed like a crapload of fun. How do you land without killing yourself? You push off when you hit the crest. Keep your feet flat on the runners, but keep your knees bent. Push down with your legs when you land. It absorbs the shock. Sounds like jumping a dirt bike. She nodded. If you've jumped a bike, you know how it works. I'll go side by side with you. Just match my speed. Colding shook his head. What if I wrecked the sled? I'm pretty sure Janata can afford a new one. Don't be a pussy. Sarah gunned her sled and shot away, engine whining. Colding squeezed his throttle tight. The sled rocketed forward so fast he almost fell off. These things were flat out built for speed. He caught up to Sarah at the base of the dune. The upward slope pushed him down into his seat. Still accelerating, he hit the crest and pushed off. Weightless. Exhilarating. The harbor spread out before him, white and blue. The auto tube bobbing slowly in the light shop. The sled dropped down. He bent his knees, then pushed. Jarring impact, body stunned, limp, and flopping. More weightlessness, not the good kind, then a smack that rattled his head inside the helmet. Sliding face down, something cold in his neck and left shoulder. No more motion. Fuck, Colding said. Hey, Sarah's voice, are you okay? He pushed himself to a sitting position. As he did, he felt packed snow fall from his snowsuit neck down his shirt and over his stomach. Sarah crouched in front of him, helmet now off, eyes filled with concern. I think I'm okay, he said. He pulled off his gloves, unzipped the suit, and started fishing inside his shirt for the ice-cold snow. Nothing hurt but my pride. You looked sexy, Sarah said. You know, right up until that whole landing thing. Colding laughed and stood. His snowmobile had wound up on its side. Clear plastic windscreen cracked from the crash. He put it back on its treads. Other than the windscreen, it looked no worse for wear. Sarah's sled, of course, had no damage. I see you landed like a pro. I've been riding since high school, Sarah said. An old boyfriend from Gaylord taught me. You dated a gay lord? It's a town, dumbass, just south of Sheboygan. Big rivals in high school football. I was a sophomore dating a senior from a rival school. So scandalous. He used to take me snowmobiling all the time. What was his name? Sarah started to speak, then stopped. Crap, I had it. Man, that was what? Almost 20 years ago. Ah, 
Don Jewel. See? Sharp as a tack despite my advanced years. You still in touch with him? She shook her head. Haven't talked to him since high school. No idea what happened to him. The sound of the Nuge's diesel engines drew their attention. Clayton's snowproof vehicle crested the dune at a modest speed, then continued toward the dock. Out at the dock, Colding saw the others already at work unloading the auto, too. Magnus, Andy, Sarah's crew, Sven, James, and Stephanie Harvey. They hauled metal poles, rolls of chain-link fence, and bags of concrete from the ship to the base of the dock. Mookie the dog ran around, barking, kicking up chest-high waves of snow before stopping every 20 or 30 feet, standing tall, snow-covered black ears up high and black eyes searching the tree line for some imagined threat to her master. Let's get to work, Colding said. Last thing I need is Magnus thinking I'm a slacker. And remember, no public displays of affection out here. Spoil sport, Sarah said. They walked quickly to the dock, the nuge close behind. At the base of the dock, Gary Detweiler and Sven Ballantyne stacked their loads of cement bags. Gary carried a single 40-pound bag. Sven carried three. What's up, Mr. Colding? Gary said. Hell of an endo you had there. Endo? He means your landing, eh? Sven said. And I use that word loosely. Colding laughed and shrugged. No way a wipeout like that wasn't going to bring him some ribbing. Gary patted the pile of concrete bags, already stacked five high and six across. This is some pretty serious gear for a cow pen. Sven rolled out his neck. The crack sounded like breaking ice. Babies are on the way, Gary. Expensive babies. Best to keep them protected. Colding nodded. Sarah looked away. She knew the real reason they needed heavy-duty enclosures. Clayton, Gary, Sven, and the Harveys did not. That had been Magnus's orders. Outside of Colding and the scientific staff, no one needed to know. Sven turned and walked back down the dock to fetch another load. I saw a weather report. Gary said. You better get these cages built fast. Forecast is for a major storm in three days. No way you can do any construction once it comes in. For sure, you'll get that five feet of snow I told you about. Wonderful, Colding said. Like Christmas come early. Gary leaned in. Colding could smell the pot rolling off him. All this heavy fence, Mr. Colding, for cows? Come on, what's really going on? I just want to know if my dad is safe. Piss off, eh? Clayton walked up, moving with that old man hitch stride of his. I don't need you babysitting me, boy. But, Dad, all this stuff. Yeah, all this stuff. Clayton bent at the knees, grabbed a 40-pound bag of concrete under each arm, then stood. We need to load all this stuff onto the nuge. Let's get cracking, eh? He carried the bags to the BV's rear section and started stacking them in. Gary pursed his lips and shook his head. Apparently, concern for his father could cut through a marijuana high. Colding picked up two bags and immediately dropped one. Holy crap, 80 pounds of concrete wasn't exactly a loaf of bread. Clayton had picked up two like they were nothing, and Sven walked around with three. Good, clean country living had its benefits, apparently. Stop dicking around already, eh? Clayton shouted. Can you two pillow biters have your gay moment off the clock for fuck's sake? Gary laughed, then picked up a bag and carried it to the zebra-striped vehicle. Colding adjusted and picked up his, too. 
Almost threw his back out, but he'd be damned if Clayton lifted more than he did. November 28th, death finds a way. Implantation plus 19 days. Ready to initiate contact sequence. The same sentence on all seven screens, surrounding her, engulfing her. Just one push of the enter key, and she'd have someone who would listen to her. Someone who could act. Modifying the network had been a simple affair, one for which she'd never be caught. Black Manitou had no outside phone connection, no radios, no internet. No way to call anywhere but to Gary Detweiler or to the company headquarters in Manitoba. But inside the Manitoba facility, a whole computer network connected to the internet, to the outside world. She had to do something. This was her fault, her coding. What exactly had she done? Most of the late nights she'd worked alone in the lab, she remembered nothing but a hazy blur filled with orange spiders and purple centipedes. But she remembered enough to know why she'd created the genome now growing large inside the cows. Why? Because she had wanted to kill herself again. No access to knives, no scalpels, no glass in her room, no chemicals, no pills, nowhere to possibly hang herself. And yet her twisted mind had found a way, found a way. The ancestors. But the ancestors wouldn't just kill her. They would kill Dr. Rumkorf, Mr. Feely, Stephanie and James, Sarah. They would kill Mr. Colding. She couldn't tell anyone what she had done. Not ever. It wasn't just a suicide attempt. Her insanity put everyone's lives at risk. They would send her back to China. They would send her back to an asylum, like Dr. Rumkorf had said. She couldn't go back. She remembered the sense of hopelessness, of wishing for death, but unable to do anything about it because of the stiff straitjacket. She remembered how those places smelled. She had to stop the Ancestor Project, but she couldn't tell anyone why it was so important or tell them exactly what she had done. The secure connection to Manitoba was her last resort solution. She could worm through that side of the network, access the Internet, then make a simple voice-over IP call. The only problem was, she'd have to shut off Black Manitou's jammer to activate the Secure Connections satellite uplink. If someone was in the security room, paying attention, they would know she was contacting the outside world. Jean looked at her finger, still poised above the keyboard. It shook slightly, a tiny tremble. She pulled her hand away. Not yet. Not yet. She'd try once more, tried to get someone to listen. But if they would not, she knew what she had to do. November 28th. Fisher waits. Implantation plus 19 days. Paul Fisher read through the printed reports, all of which boil down to the same one-word summary. Nothing. That's what they had. Nothing. Multiple law enforcement, military, and intelligence agencies had gone over every last shred of Janata's financial information, corporate history, employee profiles, and anything else that might produce information on the whereabouts of Klaus Rumkorf, Liu Jandan, 
Tim Feely, or Patrick James Colding. The agencies were even looking for more people now. Magnus Paglione, who had slipped his tail shortly after Paul's visit to Manitoba, and the suspected crew of Janata's C-5, Sarah Pernam, Alonzo Berea, Harold Miller, and Matt Cappy Capistrano. A search for all of them, and still, nothing. Fisher pushed the papers away and leaned back in his chair. He had to finally admit defeat. Colding had beaten him. All Fisher could do now was wait and hope that someone in Janata made a mistake. November 29th, Freakin' Orcs and Elves. Implantation plus 20 days. A fantasy novel. Yeah, that's where the money was. Freakin' Orcs and Elves and shit? Some wizard kids? How hard could that be? Gunther knew the vampire romance novel was a guaranteed home run. Why not whip out some bullshit fantasy novel under a pen name? Geez, 18-year-olds were doing it, making millions by rehashing Tolkien. Nerds would buy anything with a dragon on the cover, and Gunther could rehash with the best of them. Had to start with a quest. That's how they all started, really. Some dopey farmer kid getting sent on some quest, during which he'd have adventures and trudge through a magic swamp or something, and then... A beep from the console broke his concentration. That new alarm Tim had set up for the alerts about the cow's vital signs. Elevated heart rate from Miss Milkshake. Gunther tapped the controls, switching the monitors to an interior view of the C-5's lower deck. He started moving the camera remotely when the alarm changed from a beep to a steady drone. Flatline. Uh-oh. He moved the camera until it pointed at Miss Milkshake's stall. On the black-and-white screen, a dark puddle spread out from under the clear plastic door. You have been listening to Ancestor by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.